Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the people, the food, the culture, and the history of the state of Israel. Hey, listen, if this is your first time watching, don't forget to hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. And Hey, make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. Um, If you want to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. As always, this, uh, this podcast is brought to you by the 12 Cities in Israel, Modern Hebrew Flashcards. The best way to learn Hebrew, the best way to brush up on Hebrew. You can find them on Amazon for Kindle. If you don't have Kindle on any of your apps, you can download it in the description below, through the link in the description below. Um, for Android uh iphone ipad pc and for mac um all right there so go down and check it out hey all right welcome back um this is uh we're in the middle of our um what do you call it our the in per in uh air quotes uh the 12 cities in israel and i'm going over the uh the history of these cities in part one and the modern city in part two and we are on to a new city and we're almost done with these 12 cities and this episode is tel aviv Aviv. yes we are on tel aviv guys um one of my favorite cities one of the most amazing cities, not just in Israel, but in the world. Um, and there's this misconception that Israel, uh, that that Tel Aviv only goes back a, a little bit, that it only goes back to its founding in the early 20th century, which I found out um, is far from true. So you guys, I'm going to drop some knowledge today, and you guys are really going to get... Uh, some archaeological info so uh strap in and let's go um all right so tel aviv is um it's located on the mediterranean coastline and with a population of four hundred and sixty thousand plus tel aviv is the economic technological and cultural heart of israel uh now while many know its recent history back to the early 20th century, as I said before, um, even with the exclusion of Yafo or Jaffa, um, as you may know it, the area that now calls Tel Aviv home has been inhabited all the way back to before the Bronze Age. Are you ready for that? Before the Bronze Age. So, where did all of this, um, so you have Yafo in the south, um, so where, and that was a major port city, so where did these people live? They lived near what is called the Yarkon River, and to understand the reasons why the people who chose the location for the future city of Tel Aviv did, 
um, we have to look at the area itself. Now, one of the most important needs for a habitation is a water source. And inside the area, uh, inside this area, the water source was the Yarkon River. Now, the Yarkon River is a city, is a river that in central Israel, whose source is at Tel Afek, or as it was known in antiquity, Antipatris, uh, which was a city north of Petitikva that was built during the first century BCE. That's where the, uh, the source of this river is. Uh, and it was built by Herod the Great. It flows west through Gushtan, uh, through the Gushtan region and through what is now Tel Aviv's Yarkon Park into the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the Yarkon is the largest coastal river in Israel, and it is just over 17 miles long. Um, now, along the Yarkon River are a number of ancient sites that place inhabitants um, in what would become, in the future, Tel Aviv. Now, the ones that I will tell you about are Givat Ben Hamit Bahayim, Tel Kudadi, and Tel Kasile. Um, these, there were a number of other ones, um, but getting the information, it either got too academic and would have been, I hate to say it for all you archeologists out there who are watching this, but it would have kind of been a snooze fest because it was talking about layers and it was talking about digging procedures. And I, I want to give you guys the history, not a class in archeology. span So we're going to start with Givat Bet. Hamid Bahayim, uh, or, are you ready for this, Abattoir Hill, as it was uh, also known. Um, and it is a an archaeological site set on a natural hill made of Korkar, which is a local type of sandstone. And if I'm correct, it is um, it was made from the... Um, the hardening of sand dunes, basically. Um, and it's located near the southern bank of the Yarkon River. In 1930, ancient burials and tools were discovered uh, upon the construction of an abattoir, which is a nice and very French name for slaughterhouse. <laughs> so uh, they were building a slaughterhouse and they found um, they found archaeological remains and on top, uh, up on top of the hill. And this is where the landmark gets its name from. Uh, between 1950 and 1953, Israeli archaeologist Jakob Kaplan uh, studied the site ahead of the construction of new residential units and streets. So they were building Tel Aviv and they found this stuff. He discovered the remains of burials and small settlements spanning from the Calcolithic, which I found out is what's known as the Copper Age, and it's the time between the Neolithic Age, ancient sands of time, and the Bronze Age. So this is before any settlement. This is before the Torah. This is before everything. Um, this is way, way back, uh, or the events that occurred in the Torah. Sorry. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so they also go from the Bronze Age all the way up to the 
Persian period of 4500 BCE to 332 BCE. Now, in 1965 and 1970, Kaplan conducted two more excavations next to the slaughterhouse and discovered settlements... Uh, settlement remains from both the Bronze Age and the Persian period. And that's how we know that. Um, and what they found, well, I'm going to tell you what they found. So more recently in February 1992, a salvage excavation was conducted by Yossi Levy after antiquities were damaged by development works in the area and two burial tombs dating between 538 BCE to 1099 CE um, or the Persian period up until the early Arab period were discovered. Um, and in June 1998, another salvage excavation was conducted by Camille Sari after ancient remains were damaged by work done by the local electric company. And two kilns were unearthed. These are uh, furnaces um similar to uh two that were found earlier by the archaeologist Kaplan so that's crazy that would uh, um imagine you know and I I guess this kind of does happen in New York City but um imagine you're 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 going and you're building a building and all of a sudden you find pottery from the Persian period or you know bones from the Neolithic era and and that's happened and that's but if you're in Tel Aviv, there's this, you know, disconnect between it being this new, vibrant, um, electric city and this ancient world where everything that exists now would be like magic or like amazing. So anyways, continuing on with Abattoir Hill. So the earliest evidence of human settlement in Abattoir Hill is found in two caves um, that were dated to the aforementioned Calcolithic period. And I want to make sure I get that right. And they were found at the Yanai Street site because this hill covers like quite a large area in, in Tel Aviv. The first is a large cave dwelling with a stone pillar supporting the ceiling. Um, the entrance of the cave faces towards the Yarkon River to the north, and in front of it lies an elliptical courtyard where evidence of pottery making was discovered. So this was a factory. This is an ancient factory um, in Tel Aviv. That's so badass. I'm sorry. I just, I get excited. Um... So several rooms branch out of the cave's uh, hall, and in one was a mixed layer of ash, broken pottery, and animal bones. Um, the second cave is located further to the south, and it has a ceiling that has collapsed. Um, the cave was used as a burial cave as fragments of clay ossuaries used to store human skeletons were discovered during excavations. Um, with one of the ossuary fragments featuring a snake motif. So this is like some pagan cultist site. Um, since its discovery, more similar burial caves of this period have been found throughout the country. In addition to the caves, trash pits hewn out of rock with bones and broken pottery inside were also excavated. So we have, so I was talking to someone about Israel being the center of the world. And because of its location and its landmass and how all of 
the civilizations of the world have at one point traversed across it. Um, you're finding this in, 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 in the oddest places for me, the oddest archeologically, it's probably not that odd, but like in Tel Aviv, you're finding the remains of, of Persian pottery. You're finding the remains of post Neolithic, you know, post caveman. That's crazy. That just blows my mind. All right. I need a sip of coffee. Hey, Peter and J hats. This is for you. Uh, 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 uh. I don't know. I get excited. I get excited about the fact that, that it, it, this hits the history is so rich, even in a place that you would think is brand new. Um, all right. So during the bronze age period at the end of the fourth millennium BCE, a temporary settlement was established in Abattoir Hill and remains of this settlement were found on top of, um, oh no, they were found in the older Calcolithic, uh, cave dwelling and its courtyard, uh, which I said was on Yanai street. Now, unlike the previous inhabitants of the Calcolithic period who were buried, uh, who buried their dead inside ossuaries, the inhabitants of this settlement cremated their dead and buried only the ashes and scorched bones. Um, pottery found next to these burials served as funerary offerings. And one of them was apparently this ornate oil lamp, but that's important because the, so we're talking about the Persians. All right. So the Persian in, in Persia, uh, where Xerxes was a, uh, Zoroastrian and they fire for them is a very holy thing. Um, could this cremation, uh, could these cremated bodies be evidence of a Zoroastrian, um, religious ceremony or ceremonial site for Zoroastrianism in Tel Aviv. That's so crazy. So, um, also found in the Northern part of the hill site were the remains of an unfortified settlement, which included round barns, hewn in rock, as well as pits used, um, for trash and broken, uh, where they found trash and broken pottery. It was dated to the middle bronze age, uh, two period, which was the time of the Hyksos, a Mesopotamian people who ruled over ancient Egypt at around 1650 to 1550 BCE. It is believed that this settlement was a small village or an estate owned by a Hyksos nobleman from the nearby Yafo, uh, from nearby Yafo or Tel Garissa which is another uh, settlement that was found along the Yarkon River. So there's little evidence at the site um, from the Late Bronze Age, from 1550 to 1200 BCE, leading archaeologists to assume that the human settlement in the site had little regional importance, um, and that by the late centuries of this period, especially by the 13th century BCE, that the site eventually became completely deserted or was sparsely populated until the early Iron Age. A settlement from the 10th century BCE, the time of the United Kingdom of Israel was discovered, but the settlement was destroyed in the 8th century BCE as signs of destruction by fire were found. Um, so these are attributed to the military campaign of 
Sennacherib, the king of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, also discovered at the site were two more caves on the northern edge of the hill, and in them were found an abundance of human remains, human bones. Numerous pottery fragments were found that dated to the Persian, Hellenistic, Roman, Byzantine, and even the early Muslim periods, as well as a worn, corn, worn coin from the first century CE. Um, it has been suggested that they were part of a Jewish or Samaritan burial site based on their similarity to a Jewish cemetery found near Yafo and a Samaritan cemetery found near Tel Baruch. So that's crazy. That 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 and and I wanted to talk about that one early. And if it was a little dry for you, I apologize. But what's important is just to see the continued. So we talk about Ashkelon and we can see the continued turnover uh, from civilization to civilization. But even going back before recorded civilization, uh, excuse me, hiccup, um, even before what we know as our recorded ancient uh, history, we're seeing archaeological evidence of civilization turnover in Tel Aviv, in a place that, for all intents and purposes, most people think was not inhabited before Tel Aviv was established. Um, so it's kind of crazy. So, all right, the the next one I want to talk about, and these two are real quick, um, are Tel Kudadi, and it is uh, an ancient site that's located near the mouth of the Yarkon River, near what is now Tel Aviv's uh, Reading Power Station. It was discovered, uh, discovered there was a fortress that dated back to the Iron Age, and it is believed that it was most likely an Israelite fortress um, built in the 10th or 9th centuries, 9th centuries BCE, but that it was eventually destroyed by the Neo-Assyrian Empire in the 8th century BCE. So you can assume that the Assyri the, uh, the Neo-Assyrians went up the Yarkon as they went down the Mediterranean. Um, however, preliminary reports of the excavation and its finds uh, have concluded that the site was actually constructed in the 8th century during the time of the Assyrian rule, and was instead abandoned ahead of the Assyrian Empire's withdrawal during the late 7th century BCE. So, um, I'm sure there are archaeologists tearing their hair out and arguing over this. Um, now, besides the fortress, pottery from the early Bronze Age, uh, Persian, Byzantine, and early Arab periods was found on the site. Among the pottery found was a Greek jar from the island of Lesbos, which is the earliest of its kind discovered uh, in the whole of the region's Mediterranean coast. How cool is that? Um, so you thought no one was there? Well, there that was there. That's crazy. The next one I want to talk about is um, Tel Kassile, and it is a 3,000-year-old archaeological site that contains the remains of a port city founded by the Philistines in the 12th century BCE. It is located near the Yarkon River on the grounds of what is now the Eretz Israel Museum. So um, the Yarkon River was also the delineation north, the northernmost uh, border of the Philistine kingdom territory. Um, in 1815, after excavating the ruins of ancient Ashkelon, Lady Hester Stanhope proposed a dig 
at a site called El Kirby, located 12 miles northeast of Yafo, on the banks of the Yarkon River. According to one of Stanhope's companions in the excavations, there were many proofs that this district was once highly populated. Uh, so, uh, modern excavation of the site commenced in 1948 under Benjamin Mazar, who received the, this is so cool, the first archaeological exploration permit issued by the newly formed State of Israel. Um, the excavations revealed the gradual development of the Philistine city over a period of 150 years, from its founding on through the to the peak of its growth um, and at the end of the 11th century BC. Now, the sacred area of the Philistine city was unearthed to reveal three temples built one on top of the other. The temples were constructed with walls of sun-dried mud bricks covered with light-colored plaster, and low benches were built along the length of the walls. Many offering and religious vessels were found on the floors, concentrated mainly around the Bama, or high place of worship, and in the storage alcoves of the temples. A residential block was found on the northern side of the street, while in the southern side, workshops and storehouses were found and unearthed. The houses were built to a standard plan, which was square, with an area of approximately 100 square meters per apartment. Each apartment was comprised of two rectangular rooms with a courtyard separating them. Um, excavations in the 1980s revealed a large courtyard building dating from the Islamic Abbasid area, and the building has been dated by its excavators to a period between the 9th and 11th century, uh, though both earlier Umayyad and later Crusader occupations of the site have been found. So that's really interesting. And what it reminds me of, if you go back and you listen to the Alat uh, episode where I talk about Alat, Alat, again, it's another city where people think it just sprang up. Um, and that there was no history there, but there was a lot of history. Um, there's tons of archaeological sites around a lot. The same apparently is true. Now, you know, uh, for Tel Aviv, it's, it's really amazing how much the Yarkon river, I mean, it was teeming with people. It was, it's pretty cool. I, it's something I didn't know before I, I got into this. I was actually a little worried that this would be just a 20th century history of Tel Aviv. And I'm really glad and excited that I was able to give you this information. But we are going to move into more recent history. We're going to make a jump. So let me take a sip of coffee. Hold on one second. And we're going to go to the Ottoman period, which is, yes, a huge jump and <laughs> it's not that people weren't living in sparsely rural uh, living outside of Yafo and near the Yarkon River. It's just that there were no distinct settlements um, for centuries. So in 1906, during the second Aliyah, a group of Jewish residents of Yafo, under the guidance of Zionist leader Akiva Aryeh Weiss, um, banded together to form the Ahuzat Bayat Society. Now, one of the society's goals was to form a Hebrew urban center in a healthy environment 
planned according to the rules of aesthetics and modern hygiene. Okay, interesting. Uh, the, <laughs> the urban planning for the new city was influenced by the Garden City movement, and the first 60 plots were purchased in Kerem Jabali near Yafo by Jacobus Khan, a Dutch citizen, who registered them in his name to circumvent the Turkish prohibition on Jewish land acquisition. And that's going to come up later. Um, now, on, 11, on April 11th, uh, 1909, 66 Jewish families, including um, Meyer Dizengoff, totally cool uh, name drop, who would become Tel Aviv's first mayor, um, gathered on a desolate sand dune to parcel out the land by lottery using seashells. How cool is that? Now, this gathering is considered the official date of the establishment of Tel Aviv. Uh, the lottery was organized by Akiva Arye Weiss, president of the Building Society, with Weiss collecting 120 seashells uh, on the beach, half of them white and half of them gray. The members' names were written on the white shells and the plot numbers on the gray shells. A boy drew names from one box of shells and a girl drew plot numbers from the second box. This is like a fairy tale. This is so cool. Um, an event that was documented by a photographer, uh, Abraham Soskin. The first water well was later dug at this site. Uh, located on what is today Rothschild Boulevard, across from Dizengoff House. How cool is that? Now you know why these things are called the names that they are. Um, within a year, Herzl, Achad Ha'am, Yehuda HaLevi, Lillenblum, and Rothschild Streets were built. Um, a water system was installed in 66 houses, including uh, some on six subdivided plots were completed. At the end of Herzl Street, a plot was allocated for a new building for the Herzliya Hebrew High School, which, has been, which had been founded in Yafo in 1906. The cornerstone for the school was laid on July 28, 1909, and the town was originally named Ahuzat buy it but on may 21st uh 1910 the name tel aviv was adopted and the white city was born the flag and city's coat of arms contains a red star of david with two words from jeremiah uh the book of jeremiah i god will build you up again and you will be rebuilt um and that's what it that's what it said so this new city of Tel Aviv was to be planned independent was to be a planned independent Hebrew city with wide streets and boulevards, running water for each house and street lights. So this was the big project. This was Herzl's dream of the 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 Jewish state. And this new city of Tel Aviv was emblematic of everything that he wrote about and everything that he worked for um, with the World Zionist Con Congress. So, <coughs> excuse me. So by 1914, the new city of Tel Aviv had grown to more than 247 acres from its original housing plots. 
1915, a census of Tel Aviv was done and recorded a population of 2,679. This growth, however, halted in 1917 when the Ottoman authorities expelled the residents of both Yafo and Tel Aviv in what was described as a wartime measure in in quotes um this wartime measure though was contradicted uh in a report published in the new york times by united states consul arthur garrels who was in alexandria egypt who described the yafo deportation of early april 1917 as being aimed chiefly at the jewish population this soon resolved itself, though, and Jews became free to return to their homes um, in Tel Aviv and in Yafo uh, at the end of the following year, when with the end of World War I and the defeat of the Ottoman Empire, the British took control of what would become Mandatory Palestine. So, dun-dun-dun, Tel Aviv quickly became a destination uh, for new immigrants who were attracted to the city because they found it had uh, all the comforts that they were used to in Europe, electric light, water, uh, a little cleanliness, it's written in in the, uh, <laughs> in the excerpt, uh, cinema, opera, theater, and also more or less advanced schools, busy streets. It was full of restaurants, cafes that were open until 2 a.m., singing music and dancing so it had all of the things um that they had where they had moved from in europe so tel aviv was also rapidly becoming an attraction for both immigrants and halutzim due to the burgeoning cultural atmosphere that fostered a new breed of jewish writers jewish poets and jewish artists um now, Tel Aviv, along with the rest of the Yafo municipality, was conquered by the British in late 1917 during the campaign against the Ottoman Empire during World War I, as I said, and it became a part of mandatory Palestine. Now, it was originally established as a suburb of Yafo, but it received township or local council status within the Yafo municipality. Uh, in 1921, and according to a census conducted in 1922 by the British, the Tel Aviv township had a population of 15,185 inhabitants, consisting of 15,165 Jews, 78 Muslims, and 42 Christians. Now, the Tel Aviv's population increased in the 1931 census to 46,101 in a total number of 12,545 houses. Now, it went from 15,000 to, like, over 45,000. That is an enormous jump. Um, so people were flooding into Tel Aviv. Now, with increasing Jewish immigration during the British administration, tensions increased between the Arabs and the Jews in Mandatory Palestine. And on May 1st, 1921, the Yafo riots resulted in the deaths of 47 Jews and with 146 injured. Now, for the Arabs, 48 had died with 73 injured. And in the wake of this violence, most of the Jews in Yafo left for Tel Aviv. 
the population of Tel Aviv increased from 2019-20 to approximately 34,000 by 1925. And I talk about this, uh, this, uh, what do you call it, city migration in the Yafo uh, episode. So I, I, I recommend you go over and check that out. Now, during the mandate, Tel Aviv began to develop as a commercial center. And in 1923, Tel Aviv became the first town to be wired uh, for electricity in mandatory Palestine, followed by Yafo later that year. The opening ceremony of the Yafo Electric Company generator on June the 10th, 1923, celebrated the lighting of the two main streets in Tel Aviv. Now, in 1925, a master plan for the Tel Aviv Township was created by the Scottish biologist, sociologist, philanthropist, and pioneering town planner, Patrick Geddes, based on the Garden City movement. And the plan consisted of four main features, a hierarchical system of streets laid out in a grid, large blocks consisting of small-scale domestic dwellings, the organization of these blocks around central open spaces, and the concentration of cultural institutions to form a civic center in the town. It was adopted by the city council, uh, which was led by Meyer Dizengoff, uh, while most of the northern area of Tel Aviv was built according to the layout of this plan, the influx of European refugees in the 1930s necessitated the construction of taller apartment buildings, or on a larger footprint. Uh, so the plan was adjusted to accommodate these new residents to Tel Aviv. I think that's awesome. Now, Ben-Gurion House, the Tel Aviv residence of the future prime minister of the Jewish state, was built in 1930 through uh, to 1931 as part of a new workers' uh, housing development. At the same time, Jewish cultural life was given a boost by the establishment of the Ochel Theater and the decision of the Habima Theater, what, which is now the National Theater of Israel, to make Tel Aviv its permanent home in 1931. How cool is that? Um, all right, so then in 1934... Tel Aviv was granted the status of an independent municipality and formally separated from the city of Yafo. So at the time that it was a township, it was still a part of Yafo, uh, the municipality of Yafo. Now it was its own, very own municipality. Now, during this time, the Jewish population rose dramatically during what would become known as the Fifth Aliyah. And the influx uh, of immigrants after the Nazis came to power in Germany. So that's what drove a lot of, uh, of the Fifth Aliyah into um, Israel. So by 1937, the Jewish population of Tel Aviv had risen to 150,000 in comparison to Yafo's mainly Arab population of 69,000 residents. And within two years, Tel Aviv's population had reached 150,000 and 60,000 people, which was over a third of mandatory Palestine's total Jewish population. Um, many of these new Jewish immigrants disembarked in the port in Yafo, but remained in Tel Aviv, thus turning the city into a center of urban life. Now, friction during the 1936-1939 Arab Revolt 
uh, had led to the 1938 opening of a local Jewish port um, named Tel Aviv Port. Independent of Yafo, it closed on the 25th of October 1965, and Lida Airport, which would later become Ben Gurion Airport, uh, and Sdedov Airport opened between 1937 and 1938. Now, the distinctive Bauhaus look of Tel Aviv that developed in the city's early days is credited to the numerous Jewish architects trained at the Bauhaus, the modernist school of architecture in Germany, uh, who left Germany and arrived in the city during the 1930s. Some, like uh, Aryeh Sharon, came to Mandatory Palestine and adopted the architectural outlook of the Bauhaus and similar schools. They had adapted it uh, to the local conditions there, creating what is recognized as one of the largest concentration of buildings in the international style in the world. Um, this architectural boom, which gave Tel Aviv its moniker, the White City, because all of these um, Bauhaus buildings were plastered in white, and from the coast it was the White City, um, emerged in the 1930s as an, and was integral in the city being awarded its status as a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2003. Thank you, guys. Um, now, with the emergence of World War II, uh, Tel Aviv was not left unscathed. It was targeted and hit by Italian airstrikes on September 9th, 1940. In the attack, 137 people were killed. Now, following the war, uh, during the Jewish insurgency in mandatory Palestine, Jewish Ergun and Lehi guerrillas uh, units had launched repeated attacks against British military police and government targets in the city due to um, the British imposing restrictions on Jewish immigration. Now, following the July 22nd, 1946 King David hotel bombing, uh, done in response to Operation Agatha, known in Israel as Black Sabbath, uh, when the British police and military authorities in mandatory Palestine raided, searched for arms, and made arrests in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and several other settlements, uh, as well as conducted a raid on the Jewish agency's offices, their actual offices in Jerusalem. So in response to the Irgun's, uh bombing attack, the British carried out Operation Shark in which the entire city was searched of Tel Aviv was searched for Jewish militants and most of the residents of the city were questioned um, and the entire city was placed under a mandatory curfew. In March of 1947, um, Tel Aviv was placed under martial law by the British authorities for 15 days um, with the residents kept under curfew for all but three hours uh, a day as British forces scoured the city for militants. Um, in spite of this, Jewish guerrilla attacks continued in Tel Aviv and other areas sub subsequently held under martial law. So, yeah. Um, and now we're, we're moving out into... Well, let me read. Hold on. So eventually, though, the British opted to leave the... Um, 
the British leave and the mandate ends. And for the residents of the region, each group would be afforded their own sovereign state, which according to the 1947 UN partition plan, mandatory Palestine uh, would be divided into one Jewish uh, and one Arab state. Tel Aviv, by then a city of 230,000 people, was to be included in the proposed Jewish state with Yafo and its population of 100,580, comprised of 53,930 Muslims, 30,820 Jews, and 16,800 Christians as part of the proposed Arab state. Now, immediately violence broke out due to uh, the Arab rejection to any Jewish state in the region and the civil war that lasted from 1947 through to 1948 continued until the opening of formal hostilities with Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon after the establishment of the newly independent Jewish state on May 14th, 1948. Um, yeah, so that is the story of the history of Tel Aviv up until uh the establishment of the state um to, to join us next time to uh to find out where this all goes and how tel aviv became i mean we're starting to see how it became the city it became but it's it it went through many cyclical booms and uh find out all the cool stuff to see in our next episode hey uh listen if you like this episode hit the like button the subscribe button and the notification bell um share this video with all your friends and family um if you want to take us with you you can find us on soundcloud itunes google podcasts stitcher tune in and on spotify um and as i said this uh this episode is brought to you by the 12 cities in israel modern hebrew flashcards the best way to learn hebrew and the best way to brush up on your hebrew you can find them on amazon for kindle I'm steadily working on that verb one. Once you see it, you are going to see how dense the information is and why it's taking me so long. Um, but if you want to get ahead of the curve, you can pick up the Aleph Bet. You can pick up the numbers in Hebrew. You can pick up uh, body um, and clothing, which also has colors in it. Um, also, if you want to uh, check out my children's book, uh, my children's bedtime story uh, called Who is a Jew? And it is, as I said, it's a bedtime story uh, that tells your kid how awesome it is to be Jewish. All right. Hey, that's it. Bye.
מחפשת מולדת. על ענף עץ בטוח התיישבתי לנוח. שום דבר לא מוכר שם למטה.